Anna, he, he knows about it. We named our son Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Hallelujah. <clears throat> well, I've been getting over an upper respiratory thing this week, so bear with me. I sound a little weird to myself. I don't know how I sound to you. But um, <clears throat> it's a privilege to be here with you today at Rolling Plains. I've known several of your pastors, uh, Brian Law, Tom Brown, others over the years. And now I know John because I had lunch with him about three weeks ago. And um, I just, I, I, I think he's a great guy. Um, told the other church, he's always been one of my heroes because he stood up to the bishop on the conference floor one time when we took a very important vote concerning uh, sexuality. And um, uh, I just believe that you all are in good hands with John. And um, so lift him in prayer and his family as he pastors this church. Russ and I go way back, as you said, so we've been We've been around for a long time. I knew Russ when he had hair. So <clears throat> it's a while ago. But um, it's great to be with you today. Um, Linda and I pastored in Pickerington for 38 years, almost 40 years. And um, some people say, well, how did how'd you work that out? I said, I didn't work it out. I guess the bishop did, or God and the bishop. And... Um, I, I told them I turned the church there inside out and upside down every which way, and they thought, well, now what are we going to do with him? We'll just leave him there, I guess. And, um, but we had a great run of it, and um, the, the Lord has blessed it and still blessing, blessing that church. But as I wanted to think about what to speak to you today, um, the... Um, theme that came in my mind was going on with God. I thought about the COVID-19 crisis and how many churches were really shaken up as a result of that. And uh, really kind of the uh, average across the board is that a third of the people just dropped off, you know, dropped off the edge of whatever, never came back to church. Another third of the people are still at in, they're still committed to the church, but they only view it online. And then a third of the people actually show up on Sunday morning. So the church took a big hit during COVID. Many churches had to make a specific decision to go on with God. But then particularly uh, with this uh, <clears throat> situation with the United Methodist Church and disaffiliation, I'm sorry to say that our, our denomination has gone apostate. And... Um, um, it's caused the church to exit and all across the nation, so you're not the only ones doing it. But it's important, this, this, this subject of going on with God, because uh, the Scripture uh, is filled with people who made that strategic decision. And I hope that maybe some, something the Holy Spirit will take out of this message and help you all today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. We give this, these next uh, few moments to you. They're sacred moments. 
pray that you bless our minds and our hearts to receive the word of God and to act upon the word of God. And we want to give you all the praise and glory. Be with the leadership in this place and bless them, Lord God, and encourage them in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Um, what I'm going to do is just uh, share with you a series of cameos, uh, just short cameos of biblical characters who all made a strategic decision to go on with God at some point in their walk. And these are well-known people. And um, <clears throat> we're going to start with Abraham. For those up in the PA booth, I'm going to spend a little more time on just Abraham, this service. Um, following the uh, prehistory of Genesis chapter 1 through 11, Abraham bursts on the scene, receiving a dramatic prophetic word from God Almighty, a word which tilts the trajectory of the Bible and of history itself. It's hard to overemphasize the impact of the word given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Abraham is a, is a pivotal person in, the, in, in all of the scripture. He dominates the Old Testament as an anchor of biblical faith, giving context to Israel's understanding of herself, as well as providing a father figure for the New Testament. You know that Abraham is mentioned in the New Testament 73 times, more than any other uh, person from the Old Testament. So Abraham lives in the city of Ur of the Chaldees. It's a southern Mesopotamian city on the east side of the Euphrates River, almost where it empties into the Persian Gulf. Now, Ur was very close to the modern-day city of Basra, which is an oil depot for the Iraqi government. Abraham lived in a polytheistic world where ancient religions were birthed and idols made with hands were worshipped. When the Lord God calls and commissions Abraham, he's a wealthy, established figure in the community with a large family and financial means. All this becomes important as we unpack the details of his life. Um, but the monumental word in Genesis chapter 12 has tentacles that reach all the way into the 21st century. It's a word that he received from God. Abraham's just out there living his life, just an average guy, an average Joe. I mean, he had stuff going on, you know. He had, he heard, he had herds of livestock. He had servants. He had money. He was wealthy and prosperous, but you know, he was just minding his own business when God comes to him and gives him this word in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you, I will curse. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. So Abraham is called from his homeland, from his familiar trappings, cultural um, lifestyle, to a distant land yet to be revealed. 
And as he does this, God is going to use him to explode into a great nation and to become a blessing to the nations of the ancient world. Now, how many people here today, I want to see a show of hands. How many people here today have heard God speak to them at some point in their life and tell you to do something? Look at the hands. Good, at least 60% of you, maybe more. Well, this is what happened to Abraham. God spoke to him. We don't know how, but it's probably the same way he speaks to us, spoke to his heart. The God of heaven spoke to Abraham's heart and said, I want you to go from this place that you lived in all your life, and I want to, I'm going to take you to another land, and I'm going to start another nation through you, and I'm going to bless the whole world. When Abraham responded to this prophetic world, it word, it changed the history of the world. There are two people in the Bible who changed the history of the world, Abraham and Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we understand this. I told the other church uh, about four or five years into my, my uh, pastoring the church in Pickerington, I was in a small prayer group with some men one evening, and we were just getting ready to wind up. And one of the guys uh, looked at me and said, Scott, I have a word from the Lord for you. <clears throat> and he said, uh, you're going to travel and speak across the state of Ohio. He said, God's going to use you to travel and speak across the United States of America. And God's going to use you to travel and speak across the nations of the world. Now, here I am up there in Pickerington. You know, I'm five years into my, my pastorate of a small country church of about 100 members, barely keep my head above the water, and this word comes to me. It's like, yeah, right, okay. But the important thing is that we receive the word that God brings to us. He wants to lead his church, and he's going to lead this church. He's going to lead you, and he's going to lead the individuals of this church. I don't know what you're facing right now, other than this disaffiliation thing, but everybody's probably facing something. Seek the Lord. What is the God saying? He knows the journey from the beginning to the end. He will lead you. You can have confidence. And so Abraham heard the voice of the Lord, pulled up stakes, cast his fate to the wind, and started moving. And this was, this was quite a move. I mean, this was a big, big deal. But Abraham did it. And because he did it, we're here today in some measure. And so it, it, it comes to us that in strategic points in our journey, God wants us to make a decision to go on with him. Let's look at Moses. Moses was a high-ranking official I'm not going to go through the whole story, but probably most of you know it. And he was out one day making rounds, and he saw one of the officials uh, inter intervening in a... Uh, he, he saw one of the officials mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves. Anger rose up in him, got in an altercation, and Moses killed this guy, this Egyptian, buried him in the sand. Well, he was found out about it. Moses got scared, and he ran. And he ran all the way to Midian, which is basically Saudi Arabia, part of Saudi Arabia, and took up stakes there with a priest of Midian, Jethro, and married his daughter. One day Moses is out 
tending Jethro's herd when he comes to up to close to Mount Horeb and he sees a bush burning but not being consumed, the burning bush. Y'all know heard about the burning bush. And he said, I got to walk over and see what this is about. <clears throat> and a voice came out of the bush and said, take off the shoes for the ground that you're standing on is holy. That's an important thing. It's holy ground. God wants to do something when we take our shoes off. God wants to do something when we listen to his voice. And the Lord proceeded to tell Moses, he said, I'm going to use you. I'm sending you back to Egypt. I'm sure Moses said, oh, great. I'm sending you back to Egypt, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to use you to set the Hebrew people free. Moses, you know, gives an excuse like most of us do. Well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't talk. Well, I'll send Aaron with you. He'll be your voice. And he does this. Moses leaves and does that and, and, and leads the people in deliverance out of Egypt. And so the Lord said to Moses, see, listen to what God says to him. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Jeez. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. That's a tall order for a fugitive felon in the ancient world. But Moses did it, and because he did it, the people were set free, and a new nation was born, the nation of Israel, which is still among us today. Just think of that. This was 4,000 years ago, and we're still reading today about Israel in our newspapers, well, on our phones, I guess. Some of us still read the newspaper, but um, we're still reading about Israel today. I've been over there five times. Russ and Barb went with us one of the times. It's a fantastic experience. You can't duplicate it any, any other way. Let's look at Elisha. I'm, I'm writing a new book right now, and I just finished the chapter on Elisha. The desire of Elisha's heart, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was following Elijah. Elijah was his mentor. And and, and the desire of his heart was to have the anointing, to walk in the same mantle, in the same anointing that his mentor Elijah walked in. And so Elijah's coming to the end of his life, and uh, he's starting to make uh, some stops as kind of a farewell tour. And he stops at Bethel, and then he goes on and stops at Jericho, and then he goes on and stops at the Jordan River. And at each stop, Elijah turns to Elisha and says, why don't you just stay here while I go on, you know? Elijah, he wanted to go, he wanted to leave this earth in a private, you know, just privacy. He didn't want to have a big display. Well, Elisha would have none of it. He said, no, I'm following you. I'm going to get what you have, and I am not letting go. And on that last stop at the Jordan River, when the chariots of fire and the chariots of horses of fire came and swept Elijah into heaven, called a translation, his mantle fell back to earth. And Elijah told him, he said, if you see my mantle fall back to earth and you see me go into chariots of fire, you'll have what I have. And so he picked up Elijah's mantle, smacked the Jordan River and said, where is the God of Elijah? And the river parted and he walked over on dry land. Now, the Bible's full of stories like this. But the point is that Elisha knew 
Elijah. He knew his mentor. He knew what he had, and he knew that he, he, he needed it. He wanted it. Do you know that the, th- this story tells me that the anointing of God is observable because there were a band of prophets who were following them, standing at a distance, watching all this. And when Elisha got that mantle, they realized, they commented, Elisha has got the mantle of Elijah. He's got the same thing. The, the, the anointing of God is observable. The anointing of God is also transferable because it was transferred from Elijah to Elisha. So I can pray for anointing. I can pray anointings over people. I can pray for gifts of the Spirit. I can pray for the Holy Spirit over you. And it's transferable. It can happen. So it's observable. It's transferable. And it's powerful. And um, so... You know, all this, Michael Brown says, and I think there's a slide on this one, in one of his books, it's called The Fire That Never Sleeps. He makes this statement, to fully know a person, closeness is essential. There's only so much you can receive through secondhand information. Sadly, many are teaching secondhand information about a person we are called to know and experience. The Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. There's a lot of preachers standing behind pulpits today speaking of secondhand information. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to preach out of the abundance. We're supposed to preach the things that we've experienced. We're, we're supposed to put our hand with God's hand and the two, the Bible says, one to put a thousand to flight, two will put ten thousand to flight. When you are zoned in on the real thing, at the real place, in the real time, God is going to act, and God can act and wants to act. Hallelujah. So as we study these people, you know, some people receive the word reluctantly, like Jonah. Others receive. Uh, greet it with great apprehension. doesn't matter. What matters is that you receive it. You receive the words God speak to you, and you make a strategic decision to go on, to go on with God. Does this make any sense to anybody? Is this, am I, am I making sense? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, great. Hallelujah. Well, let's look at Ruth. How about Ruth? You read the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. We know the story of Ruth. How Ruth, the husbandless daughter-in-law of Naomi, returns with her husbandless mother-in-law to Israel following a famine in order to relocate back home. So that where they were living, there was a famine. They had to leave. They went back to Naomi's homeland, which is, was Israel, and Ruth went with her. Ruth wasn't from that culture and wasn't from that re- region, but what she says is interesting. Ruth says to Naomi, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Sounds like Elisha. She was made a strategic decision in her life to go on with God. What happened as a result of that decision? Well, following her obedience, later she meets a man Uh, named Boaz, and the two of them marry there in southern Israel, in Judah. 
And they give birth to a son, and that son becomes the great-grandfather of David, the king of Israel. Now, what would have happened if she hadn't been obedient to the Lord and going back to Judah and married Boaz? There wouldn't be any David. Wow. This thing just gets thick. I mean, God, God is on the move. How about Esther? I like this one. I got a chapter, Esther, in my new book. By the way, my new book's called, my books are out there, and you can check them out after the service. In fact, there's one on biblical eldership that uh, it's basically my doctoral thesis, and I hope somebody gets a copy for, for Pastor John for that because that's one of the things God's called me to is to go around to churches and help them set up biblical eldership. It was the single most important decision I ever made in 40 years of ministry. But at any rate, we look at Esther. I have a chapter in this new book on Esther, our new book that I'm calling. The new book is called Mugged by Reality. Mugged by Reality. And the subtitle is When Heaven's Resource Meets Human Isolation. We see people mugged. Now, the reality is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says, For the things that we see, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So maybe you've read this. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what the Apostle Paul's saying there is the most real thing in this world are unseen things. Did you know that? The most real part of your journey, you can't see. It's invisible. It's the spiritual world. That's the most important. That's what we've got to get right. That's what we have to nail. And so we're, we're seeing this, and I have a chapter on Esther, and Esther's decision to go before the king, she was picked out of hundreds of candidates because the former queen um, got herself in trouble and she got defrocked, I guess. And uh, so the, the king had to search for a new one. They took a whole year to search for him. All these candidates, Esther gets chosen. Well, Esther's a Jew in in secret. She's a Jew. And Esther uh, and and her uh, uncle uncover a plot for those in the government at that time who were unsavory. We have some like that in our government. Hello. And uh, they uncovered a plot to annihilate the Jewish people. And so you know, this, this couldn't happen. The Lord's speaking to Esther's heart, and, and the Lord's saying, you've got to go in and blow the oaths on these guys. And she didn't want to do it because it meant death. You didn't just walk in to the, to the king's presence back then. It was a protection for him. First of all, you had to go into an anteroom. You had to be cleared, and there had to be a reason. It took time, and so on and so forth. And then they open the door, and then you go into the king, and if the king doesn't point his scepter to you, you can't even speak then. Well, I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, how did Esther get in there? And I thought, it probably happened something like this. Well, she goes into the anteroom. And by the way, this is what she says. <clears throat> uh, she said, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Anybody remember this story in the Old Testament, Esther? And so she goes in, she goes in, into the anteroom, and, the, and the, uh, the steward is there, and she says, open the door. And he's like, no, I can't, open, I can't do that. You're not clear to go in. 
And she looks at him. She, she stares him down. She wears him down. She goes, open the door. I'm going in. Now, he knew who she was. She was the queen. But still, he was following protocol. And so, you know, she, wears, she finally wears this guy down. She says, I'm going in. Open the door. So finally, he goes, okay, it's your life, you know. He opens the door and lets her go in, and the king receives her. She blows the whistle on this scheme to annihilate the Jewish people, and the people who were per perpetrating it, it got turned on their heads. They were the ones that actually got executed in the end. But this is all a part of making the decision where Esther said, I've got, I've got to do this. I can't let my people perish. I've got to go on with God, even if it costs me my life. Well, there are others. Uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah came before a very, he was a very young lad, placed before him a grave responsibility to become the conscience of a nation. God says, I'm going to use you to speak to the nation and to speak to nations. Now, here's Jeremiah. He doesn't have a driver's license. He's not even 16 yet. This is a teenager. And Jeremiah's got all these excuses. I can't do this, and I can't speak, and I can't do that. And God says, the hand, my hand is on you. You're going to go for me. And Jeremiah does make a strategic decision in his life to accept the call. He found God to be everything that God would, said he would be. I'm going to skip down if you're using the PA booth to uh, Acts chapter 10 and Peter. We see Peter. <clears throat> Peter heard, heard a prophetic word. He's sunning himself on the roof in Joppa, and God speaks to him. The sheet comes down from heaven, and all this bacon and eggs, sandwiches, and all the stuff that the Jews aren't supposed to eat come down three different times. God says, eat. And Peter says, I can't do that. Finally, God says, how can you, how can you call unholy what I have made holy? And really what he's saying to him is that, you know, I'm doing some stuff in the world right now, and it includes the unholy. It includes the Gentiles as well as the Jews. I want you to go to Cornelius' house. And so Peter shows up at the house of Cornelius. God told Cornelius, somebody's coming to your house today. You don't know who he is, but get ready. And he rings the doorbell, opens the door, and they're standing there looking at each other. Kind of awkward, you know? They really, both of them didn't know quite what to do. And all of a sudden, Peter says, oh, yeah, I get what the Lord's saying. And Peter starts preaching the gospel of Jesus while he's speaking. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is on him. The Holy Spirit interrupts his speech and begins to baptize the people in the Holy Spirit, these Gentiles. Now, you got to remember that these were good Jews, Peter and those that were with him. They had this thing figured out until God spoke to them prophetically and said, do this, follow me, go there, and they did it. And the Holy Spirit fell amongst the Gentiles just like it fell amongst the Jews. Finally, Peter says, they got the same thing we do. Who can, we might as well baptize them, you know? Who can forbid baptism to these people? They got the same thing we got. And because of that, the Holy Spirit moved into the Gentile world. <clears throat> and aren't you glad? By the way, Abraham was a Gentile. Did you think about that? 
He wasn't even a Jew. A.W. Tozer, one of the great devotional authors of last century, said this. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. It's sad. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference because it was a church that was motivated by the voice of God. It was a church motivated by the action of God, by the Holy Spirit. It was a church that moved in the prophetic. What is the prophetic? It's hearing from God. That's what the prophetic is. You can't read the Old Testament without understanding the prophetic. How do you think these people made all these decisions? They didn't have any Bibles. They didn't have any church buildings. They didn't have any denominations. They didn't have any history and religion. All they had was a voice speaking to them. Moses, go and set my people free. I'll be with you. That's what they had. That's what we're lacking in the church today. We've got every resource you can name. We've got all the resources that you can order from your bookstore online, on the internet, all this kind of thing, all these programs, all this, all that and the other. But the one thing we're lacking is the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a revival going on right now in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury College and Asbury Seminary. It broke out on Wednesday of this last week during a regular, how many of you knew this? Okay, several of you, you've been on your iPhone, that's good. It broke out in Wednesday Chapel in Hughes Auditorium. I've preached in Hughes Auditorium. It's a beautiful building. And just a regular chapel, chapel service, the Holy Spirit overtook them. They never ended. Went in, went all day long, all into the night, all into the next day. It's still going several days. I told Linda, I think I'm going to, I may drive down there this week for a day or two. Check it out. I'd like to be where God's at. How about y'all? Amen? It's good. So how about Paul, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13? This is a good one. The church in Antioch. This church was a spawning ground for the establishment of the, uh, the missionary move of God for the whole world or the whole ancient world. And um, they're having a prayer meeting and the names of the people are mentioned there. This is a cross-cultural church. It's a cross-racial church. It's a cross-language church. I mean, there was a real mixture there. And as they're praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. Separate them for the work to which I've called them. Now, how did God say separate these two guys? Same way he talked to Adam or uh, uh, Abraham. Same way he talked to Esther, same way he talked to Ruth, same way he wants to talk to you and I. He wants to speak to your heart. Because you see, we are made different in creation than every other living entity. We have a soul. We have a body, we have a soul, but we have a spirit. We have a spirit. We're a spiritual being walking around in a fleshly temple. But the core is not flesh. The core is spirit. Do you understand that? And God wants to speak into your spirit his words. 
And when that happens, you have a collision, light with darkness, and then you have to make a decision. Am I going to go on with God? Am I going to do the next thing that Jesus tells me to do, even if it's give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? If that's all it is, it's enough. You do that, and he'll open the next door, and he'll open the next door, and that's the way it works. And I believe that any church that's got their ear to heaven is going to hear what the Lord is saying to them. Now, as we review these cameos, we cannot escape the fact that these people were moved by the Holy Spirit. I'm almost done. And their actions shifted the people of God towards the goal of history. Um, They were not just really cool, random acts. They were people hearing God and making a decision to go on. How are you hearing God today? Hopefully some of you are hearing the Lord today. What's he saying to you? What's he want you to do? What's he want this church to do? He'll lead you. He'll guide you. The reason that they're all individuals that I've quoted these cameos from the Old Testament is because the Holy Spirit anointing for individuals was how God did it back then. They had no concept of a corporate anointing. It had not been yet revealed. But in the New Testament, with Pentecost, the corporate anointing descended upon the people, and 120 were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues at once. The Holy Spirit fell on a group. You think the Holy Spirit can fall on a group? Go down to Wilmore and you'll find out. The Holy Spirit wants to, wants to fall on a group. He wants to fall on this group and the church down the road and the other church down the road. You understand what I'm saying? So it's a progressive thing. At the end of that day, they baptized 3,000 people. Wow. Because the Spirit was thick among the people. And so it is, as we hear from God In the 1990s, we had to make a strategic decision to relocate our church. We had bought 30 acres of land across the road. I remember the board meeting of the night, we decided to purchase that land. Some people said there were 70 acres available, and, and some people wanted to buy all 70 acres. Some people wanted to buy 15 acres, and one guy stood up and said, well, you know what? They're not making any more land. They're not making any more, but we might as well get as much as we can. So we bought 30 acres in the 1990s. That was in the 80s. In the 90s, and God had us relocate the entire church complex. What did that mean? Well, it meant three years in the temporary facility. We met in high school, set up, tear down, set up, tear down. Where's you out? But you got to go on. You got to make a decision to go on with God. What did it cost us? $1.7 million, three years in temporary facility. And if we would have stayed where we were at, yeah, some people would have been satisfied. But I'm not interested in being satisfied. I'm interested in being faithful. I I didn't enter this thing because I wanted to be satisfied. I wanted to be faithful to God. He spoke to my heart one day in a hotel room in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, took me from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and swept me into his kingdom. And I've never been the same since. So the church needs to go on with God. 
that means the prophetic needs to rise in our lives. And uh, that could mean for some of us here yet today, we're, we're, we need to get saved. We're not yet saved. We haven't yet accepted Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of our life. If God's speaking that to you today, make a decision. Move on and let God come into your heart. For others, it may mean you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is the, John Wesley called the second blessing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, what happened at Pentecost, also needs to happen in us. That can happen to you today. And for others, it may, it may just mean that you need to break out and diversify. But regardless, um, <clears throat> Michael Brown says, truth be told, regardless of where everyone else is in their pursuit of God, your relationship with him is your responsibility. It's no accident that I'm here today. It's no accident that I'm here preaching, that John's out. Why am I here? What? Because God wanted it. God wanted me to poke you and prod you to go on with him. Hello? God wanted me to poke you and prod you today to say, you know something? I've been playing church long enough. I'm going to hammer it down. I'm going to nail it down. I'm going on with God, whatever that means. Whatever it means in my life, I'm going on with God. That's what Abraham did, and aren't you glad he did? And he can do that with you, and he can do it with me if we're willing to step into the presence of his glory. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. We praise your holy name. Well, let's just stand to our feet, can we? Praise God. I want to pray for you. Let's just bow our heads. First of all, I want to see if there's people here today where the Lord's been speaking to you in this message. If the Lord's been speaking to you about going on with him in some area of your life, I just want to include you in this prayer. Raise your hand up quickly so we can pray. Anyone? Yeah, we see those back there. Others? Others? Yes, yes, yes. See those? See those? Include those? Always oh, speaking to so many more. It's okay. He's also speaking, yes, to this church. And he's going he's gonna to lead you and direct you. You don't have to be fearful. The Lord's going to lead you and direct you. This is a real deal. We're in the latter days, friends, and I'm telling you, we're coming in for a landing. Jesus is coming back. And because of that, these things are happening. Why do you think these things are happening? The Bible said they would happen. The Bible said that much of the church, perhaps most of the church at the end of history would be apostate. That's what the Bible says. And so we need to understand where we're at in the strategic plan of God. God wants us to know where we're at in history. It's not by accident we're alive right now. You could have been alive in the 1880s, in the 1780s. You could have been alive. But God allowed you to be alive now. One of the most strategic points in all of history right now, and you're alive in it. So say to God, yes, today, I'm going on with you, Lord. I'm going to do the next thing that you say. I'm going to follow you, and I want you to speak to my heart because I'm ready to have that anointing and to walk in the flow that you have for me. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you.
And I praise you for this opportunity today. Lord, I pray that you just speak to every heart here today. If I made some uncomfortable, that's fine. If I made some comfortable, that's fine, and everything in between. It really doesn't matter. What matters, God, is that you speak to the hearts of this assembly and that you lead Pastor John in this assembly, Lord God. And you allow this church to step into their destiny as they step into your glory. We pray, Father God, that they will fulfill every purpose that you have for them in your heart. I ask it today in Jesus' name, amen.